where you'll learn what it takes to create your dream professional dance career. Join us as we dive into the insights and experiences of the world's top dance industry professionals, including dancers, choreographers, agents, casting directors, educators, and other dance industry experts. We explore a diverse range of topics, from personal development and mental skills to audition techniques, creating meaningful industry connections, social media marketing, seeking out dance agents and casting opportunities, on-the-job etiquette, talent unions, pitching to the media, health, finances, and so much more. Here is your host, Menina Fortunato. Cannot wait to introduce our guest of today. So he has been described as a pioneer and entrepreneur, having opened his first dance studio at the age of 16. He got his first big break dancing in the film Newsies in the early 90s. And then he became a breakout star in the Disney show Kids Incorporated alongside Jennifer Love Hewitt and Brittany Murphy. His film credits include Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, You Got Served, She's All That, Austin Powers Gold Member, and Uptown Girls. He's worked with Michael Jackson, Celine Dion, Janet Jackson, Prince, Paul Abdul. He then transitioned to becoming a choreographer. He worked on Dancing with the Stars, So You Think You Can Dance, Will and Grace, The Tonight Show, Jimmy Kimmel Show, Oprah, MTV VMAs, VH1 Divas Live, AMAs, the Billboard Awards. As a creative director and choreographer, he's worked with Justin Bieber, Britney Spears, Beyonce, Rihanna, Sierra, Mariah Carey, Usher, Pink, Nicole, Neo, Christina Aguilera, Cher, and the list goes on. He also worked with Simon Cowell on several of his shows, working as a judge, choreographer, creative director, and producer on The X Factor, both in the US and in the UK, America's Got Talent, and Britain's Got Talent. And he's received at numerous awards, uh, MTV VMAs, the American Choreography Awards. He received two Universal Dance Awards, uh, World of Dance, Industry Voice Awards, Best Choreography for Britney Spears. He has also been somebody that's played a huge role in my own dance life, a mentor of mine, someone that I've looked up to for many years, who has opened up so many doors for me. He actually selected me for Christina Milian's tour with NSYNC before I even moved to LA. He was part of the people that uh, booked me on Pepsi with Britney Spears. Uh, he wrote an amazing letter of reference for me to get my green card back in 2003. And I later had the privilege of working with him on his creative team for America's Got Talent and The X Factor. And then I had the privilege of awarding him two Universal Dance Awards, which was a show that I produced at Universal Studios. So without further ado, let's give some virtual love to Mr. Brian Friedman. Are you with us? Hello, hello. Here. Hi, everybody. Hello, hello. (laughs) Thank you for that long-winded intro. Well, your career is is very extensive, so uh, we had to do it justice by uh, sharing the highlights of your career, and and it's even longer than that. So, thank you for spending your Sunday with us. Thank you for being here with us. I know Happy the dancers are so so excited to chat with you, and I'm excited to chat with you. I haven't seen you since we were talking 2019. It's been a yeah, minute. Let's start at the beginning. I know that many of these young dancers know you from the convention life, but uh, many of them don't know your your early years, the start. Can you kind of give us a backstory of 
who Brian Friedman was as a kid, as a teenager, and how that whole transition from competition kid, star search. I don't know if the kids even know what that show was. <laughs> I see one person who looks like they understand what that is, or maybe two. Yeah, definitely. So I think my journey in dance started out pretty similar to how many of yours that are still in the young dance training world started. I found dance not because I was put into it. I found it because it was something that sparked an interest with me. My mother was a dancer and a dance teacher. So I was always around dance, but she never forced me to do it. And she was judging a competition when I was 11 years old. And I saw kids my age. I saw these kids dancing on stage and it was the first time it was accessible that dance could be something that I did. My mother taught at the college locally where I grew up. And so I was used to adults dancing, but I never really saw the whole competition aspect of it and kids and costumes and doing synchronized dancing. And I remember they danced to Sing 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 and they had these little faux tuxedo leotard things on. And I was just about it. And I told my mom after the competition was over, I actually competed because it was a talent competition. And I did a lip sync with a a phone to a song called Dial My Heart. And I don't know what I was doing. I was just improving on stage. So I clearly lost and these kids won. And I told my mom after that I wanted to go and dance with them. And she knew what the studio was because she would go and take an adult class at that studio. So she took me, I went into the class and it was with those exact kids. And I was just hooked from the second I walked into that class. And it all happened really quick. It was a couple of months before their recital and I was thrown into the recital and then I danced the full next year. And it was as if I hadn't had a life before that, (laughs) like my memories from before 11 don't exist. Everything was just when I started dance because it was like finding like the light went on. For me. So that next year I trained really hard. I was competing with them all year. I got put in sing, sing, sing. That was a huge goal. And then uh, that summer, one of my friends had won a scholarship to go to LA and take classes. And I was 12 turning 13. And I think I had turned 13 right before I went. And the big studio in LA, then there were two big studios. One was called Tremaine and they still have a convention. And one was called Dupre. And I went to Dupre with my friend to take classes at 13 and an agent was watching. And she came up to me after class and said, do you, where's your mother? (laughs) Is what she asked me. (laughs) I said, well, my mom's not here. I'm with a friend. And she said, well, do you have representation? And I was like, what's that? (laughs) And she handed me a business card and said, give this to your mother. I want to sign you and you need to start working. So I got home, gave the card to my mom. We ended up flying back to LA, had a meeting at the office and I got pictures done immediately. And it was within a couple of weeks that I got my first audition, which was for the movie Newsies. Mm. And I was 13 at the time. And after four callbacks, I had to sing, act, and I hadn't done any of that. I was not trained, but I had lots of ambition and lots of drive. And I ended up booking the movie and we had to move to LA for six months. And my mom quit her job, came with me 
And it was very unheard of at that time. This is normal now, you know, kids find fame on social media and they chase their dreams at the age of like 10 and 11. This was not heard of. There was no rule book to follow. It was very difficult for us to navigate and figure out without not navigate, but like also navigate because there was no Google and we did not know our way around LA and we were opening up maps in the car. This is prehistoric times. And (laughs) it was just really difficult, but the most exciting and fun thing. And it was a snowball effect. And because I loved my training and everything that I had learned that first year and couple months when I was in Arizona before I went out to LA and started working, I wanted to continue that. So I would travel back and forth and I was still competing with my studio from home while I was in LA working. And once I wrapped up Newsies, I auditioned for a TV show called Kids Incorporated, which was a really, really big show back then. Like it's the show that I would go over to my friend's house down the street. We would watch like Saturday morning cartoons and then Kids Incorporated would come on and we would like dance and sing along with the TV. And this was a show that was my favorite. It was number one show for me. So getting to audition for it was like massive. And again, going through the callbacks and the singing and the acting and the dancing and all of that. But then booking the show was just really big. It was a dream that I didn't even think could happen. So it wasn't a goal of mine. (laughs) But once it did happen, I had to stay in LA again. And this show was going on for like almost three months. And this is after being gone for six months. So we were like, we need to get a permanent place. So we got an apartment in LA and I was paying for the apartment in LA because I was making enough working at 13. (laughs) Crazy. And I turned 14 (laughs) by the time I did that job of Kids Incorporated. And then it just kept happening. There was another job that came up for Michael Jackson right after that. And now that was a dream job for me. He was someone who I idolized as a little kid. And I had a like sequin glove in my room and I would (laughs) learn the videos and same thing with Janet Jackson and Madonna. And I wrote this little list when I was 13, before I had even gotten an agent or moved to LA. And I wrote this list of people that I was going to dance for And it said, Mm -hmm. Michael Jackson, Madonna, Prince, Paula Abdul, Michael Janet, Prince, Paula Abdul, Madonna, those five names. So I think those are on my list too. (laughs) Booking that job for Michael was just insane. He was, I, I feel like how all of you think of Beyonce, like this queen, he was the king of that era, but I think even on a larger scale than what Beyonce is right now and globally, people passed out when he walked past them. It was kind of crazy. So getting to work for him at that age was insane. And I kept that up and I did this commuting thing between LA and Arizona where I grew up and I was still competing until the age of 16. And that was when I opened up my studio with my mom I wasn't getting recognition at my dance studio for the choreography that I was doing. And I started choreographing when I was 14 or 15 and I was doing pieces that we would do in competition, not really understanding that I was the choreographer. I was giving steps and ideas and I was fine with that until I realized that I was actually choreographing and I just wanted to receive some recognition for that. And it wasn't something that was offered. So my mom and I decided that we would 
do our own thing. And we opened our studio when I was about to turn 17 and kept the studio until I was in my 20s and I was too busy working in the industry to come back and really do it. My mom didn't want to do it anymore alone. So we ended up closing and we sent all of our kids to different studios that fit their different needs. But all the while I was still dancing and working in LA. So the competition world has always played a huge role in my life. And obviously I teach now in that world as well. So I have never left it. And it's crazy, no matter how long I stay in the industry and all the different hats I wear and uh, different facets of it that I work in, dance conventions and competitions are the most consistent thing. And I think for sure, the thing that gives me the most joy out of all of these things Aside from checking off huge bucket list items in my dancing choreography career, those are amazing. But the thing with dreams is once you tick off one of them, you have to continue to make new dreams or else you do feel like you are in a rut or a hamster running on a wheel. Well, I don't think you ever were a hamster running on a I think you're always moving up to the next milestone. Now, just rewinding a little bit, you said talked about you're going back and forth a lot in your kid teen years. When did you actually make the final transition to actually say, I'm going to move to LA and this is my full-time career in LA? Yeah. When did that happen? So the question is, when did my mom cry for two weeks straight? That's that's the actual question. I don't think she stopped crying for two entire weeks. Um, so I think like the full, the, the hard transition was when I packed my room. That was like feeling mm. the deal, which I didn't really do that until I was... 18, maybe 18 and a half, but I had already been working from... From the time I was 17, I started booking more adult jobs in LA. So I was working more frequently, but I didn't give up my room. But it was when I packed my room into my car and drove to LA that it really, yeah. Became real. But then it was really difficult because I had this studio Mm -hmm. that we started because of this whole choreography thing. But the other reason why was because I had turned 16 and I was not booking the cute kid jobs anymore. I all of a sudden grew like a foot and a half within like nine months. It was unheard of. I was always tiny and now I'm like tall, (laughs) but I grew up being the littlest kid. Like we would take school photos and I was in the front row. I was the smallest person in my class, like in my dances at competition, I was like this and the girls were towering over me. So all of a sudden I grew and I was not cute anymore. I looked like a straw with eyes and I stopped booking jobs. So I was like, okay, (laughs) unemployed. Yay. So the studio was what filled that void for me. And it, it was great. It came at the right time because it helped me really start exercising choreography and seeing if that was something that I loved or was good at. But then a year later, a year and a half later, I started to fill out a little bit, started booking jobs again. So then I had this studio and all of these kids that were like looking to me to be their leader. And I was wanting to do something completely different. So from that year of 18 till whenever we closed, I don't know how many years it was, I felt really torn and pulled in two directions because I wanted to chase my own career, yet I didn't want to give up on the people who were looking to me to guide their careers. 
No, I can understand that. Now, how did you juggle schooling? Because a lot of these kids here all in business dance are teenagers. So were you homeschooled or were you going to uh, school and doing independent study? How did you juggle the schooling? Back then, and on the prairie, things were just so different. Now, let's just look at this <laughs> through a, a realistic lens. There were no computers when I was a child. That's how old I am. When I was a little kid, there were no computers. I remember when we got the first big old boxy computer, the Apple IIe that sat in our house, like I was a kid, but we weren't emailing. We weren't doing things online. There was no online. There was no Google. There was none of that. So if you wanted to do something, you had to deal with correspondence. This was like sending tests off and get and waiting for the results to come back. And because I went to LA when I was uh, 13, I was doing school on set. You had to be signed out from your school. They had to agree to let you do this. Uh, luckily, my school was really cool with it. And I had to send transcripts back to the school from my studio set teacher, who is who I was taking my test through. So I did that and like the jobs just kept coming. So I would go from one school or one studio set to the next studio set. But there was that, uh oh, I think I have to go back to normal school thing. And we ended up getting me on homeschool. So that was what they called it then. And you had your books that were sent to you and you had to deal with your teacher long distance and your parent was your teacher at home, which is pretty much what everyone dealt with at COVID or through COVID. So <laughs> that was uh, challenging. Was I experienced that. <laughs> much easier, much easier now than I'm sure it would have been communicating with someone back then. But at least I was allowed to go outside of the house and have a life. But that's how I handled it. But then I went back to normal school. When I came back here when I was 16, I had some serious culture shock after living in LA, being around people who were like-minded, who were like me. It was like, I found my tribe when I got there, all these people that were ambitious and hungry and driven and wanted more and didn't just want to go to the game. Like that was not me. I was like, <laughs> there is no such thing as a game. Like I don't care about school. I just want to work. That was who I was. So going back to normal school was just horrific. Bizarre. I hated it. And all of the people who bullied me when I was little wanted to be my friend because they saw me on TV and I didn't want to have anything to do with that at all. So it was just a really bad place for me. And probably like the worst years that I went through or year, <laughs> one year <laughs> I went year. and I remember going to my mom and I was like, so this whole school thing, <laughs> uh, it's not for me. And this was right before the summer when we opened our studio when I was 16, turning 17. And I, we opened the studio and I decided going into that next year that I was not about to juggle school, going to normal school and having the studio. So those books got sent back again and they got put in my closet. Yeah. <laughs> and then true transparency now, and it's funny because I never talk about this. They stayed in my closet. I'm a full on dropout, which wow. is crazy. And that's something that I've never talked about because I didn't want kids to think that that was an option and to look at mm -hmm. me as someone successful who can make it without finishing their senior year of high school. But for me, what I needed to learn the most in life was what I learned from 13 to 16 on set doing the jobs that I did. I felt like 
I am my career. I do not need to be going to school anymore. Now, in retrospect, I wish that I had finished it. And I'm going to get my GED watched. I wish that I had finished it just because I know it's just a piece of paper, but for all of the people who I am a mentor to, I wish that I had not done that for them. But you have to be in the right place, in the right mindset to learn. And I was definitely not the type of kid who was great learning at a desk in a classroom. I needed to learn in a different way. There were no schools for the arts where I grew up. And if there had been, it would have been a completely different story because they know how to teach people who are artistic and have artistic minds and we learn differently. And since then I've gone back and I have gone back to school and trained four different crafts. And it's a completely different experience now. I thought that I was stupid when I was a kid. And I realized that my teachers just didn't know how to teach me because I have now had teachers who understand how to teach someone artistic and I ace everything if I'm in that type of class. So that's why I want to go back now because I know how to apply my learning and I can actually sit in the classroom now. But yeah, that's my schooling story. I love that. And you know, it's crazy. I never knew that about you. And well, I no think- one would because I never told anyone. Well, amazing. Um, it was not something that I like to talk about. Well, but but honestly, no judgment, no judgment whatsoever, because I have mixed emotions when it comes to school as well. Just share my little school experience. I graduated high school, but I didn't finish college. I went to university for, I started in 1998 and I'm four credits away from graduation <laughs> and I still haven't finished. So do you want to finish them now? Do you want to do those four credits? Just to say that I finished it but not because I need the degree or even care for the degree. And the crazy part is because people like you and I, we advise people in the education system to be able to teach, let's just say the business of dance. Like I I was on the advisory committee for commercial dance BFA program, which was called studio school at the time. So even though I didn't have the degree, I was teaching people with the degree, what they should put in their curriculum because of the real life experience that people like you and I have. So the schooling is not the end all be all, but I'm not promoting not to go to school. I think it's a very personal choice, but I think the traditional schooling system is not designed for everybody. Some people thrive in it and some people learn differently. I mean, you got an amazing education for being on set. I'm sure you learned life skills that are never taught in school that are priceless. So, I mean, I, I applaud you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being vulnerable. And no judgment whatsoever. I mean, I think everybody, lots of hearts for that one. I think that was very brave of you to share. Yeah, I think to everybody, I love how they do it in the UK. In Their schooling, like primary schooling ends at 16. That's the end of school for them. They don't have the next two years that we have here in America. After that, they go to what they call college. And that's when you go to a college for your different art, craft, Craft. whatever it is that you choose, that's when you choose the college and you start learning to do what it is that you want to do. Because the truth is by 16 in the American school system, I had learned everything that I needed to learn to be an amazing functioning adult. Everything else is just gearing you up to be a scientist, (laughs) you know? And if you don't want to do science, like that was it. Math was the one, that was the nail in the coffin for me. Cause I was like, 
calculus, all this, like I'm never <laughs> going to use it. I'm not using it. And I'm already doing my career. So yes. I don't get why I have to learn that. So it's just hard those last couple of years, unless you're at the type of school that caters towards what it is that you want to be and do. Yeah. Performing arts. Now I get that. Well, let's transition now to a little, your adult, young adult life. You were a professional dancer. You've worked with some of the biggest entertainers on the planet. Was there any particular dance job that you enjoyed the most or was kind of a pivotal moment or any fun stories you want to share as a dancer? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was ticking off those lists of, uh, on the, uh, the names on the list that I made. Um, Michael was the first one that I got to check off. And then actually, no, Paula Abdul was. I danced with Paula right after we did the Kids Incorporated show the first year. I did a special with her and they chose one of us from the cast. And I was 14 at the time to be her partner. And I got to partner her and I actually dropped her. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I had never learned a partner in my dance studio. They had good Ah. terrible to be fair but we danced because we loved it I remember we used to compete and our teacher did not care if we won or not and we didn't care if we won or not I remember we would go out and have a party after the competition and if we didn't place we'd walk away with an honorable mention ribbon because back then it was only first second third period and everyone Mm -hmm. else got a ribbon so we would leave with our ribbon and have a party and didn't care so I never learned how to partner <laughs> and I, I twirled her in and I had to dip her and I didn't know like where to put my core and to bend my knees. Right. And she just toppled over and hit and landed in the grass. And I tumbled. It was really, really bad. And I thought they were going to fire me, but they didn't. And we shot it and I ended up not dropping her and we got the shot. So, um, but okay, so you didn't the- drop for the shoot just during the rehearsal or during, during the learning. Rehearsal. Okay. Okay. Yeah, thank God it wasn't a live show. <laughs> But I checked off Paula and then Michael was next. And then Prince was after that. He was the first artist that I was hired to go on tour with. We Mm. moved to Minnesota. It wasn't. Okay. So it was, he had at the time a band that was called the new power generation. Yes. I remember that. New power generation. And his wife, Maite was a trained belly and ballet dancer. And she wanted to start her own dance company. So Mm. there were auditions for it. I auditioned. I ended up booking it. We did a three act show that was two hours long and we were called the NPG dancers. We were their dance company. There was a contemporary act in the show that was original music that Prince wrote And it was choreographed by Desmond Richardson and Dwight Roden from Complexions. And they had just started, actually, I don't even think they had Complexions yet. Um, And this was my first dabble into doing concert contemporary work, which I was dreadful at. And thank God they were so nice to me. But I was 18 or 19 at the time when this happened. And we had to move to Minnesota and he had a huge facility called Paisley Park where he recorded all of his music and there was a soundstage and he filmed videos there. And we lived around the corner from Paisley Park and were there for almost three months rehearsing for this show. And we went out on the road and he would bring us while we were in rehearsals, 
uh, we would get these phone calls from him in our room and he'd say, be downstairs at five. <laughs> and we would <laughs> go down <laughs> and there'd be this, this van picking us up and we'd get driven somewhere and he would be giving a private concert that he didn't announce where he would walk on stage and he called us up and we would do songs that we had choreography to. And he did a bunch of those with us. So we did random shows with him, but then we did our shows. We had a tour of maybe 25 cities and we did five of them. And his wife, Maite, got pregnant and canceled the tour. And oh. all of us had given up our apartments. And oh, no. the last show that we were going to do was in LA. And we were at our hotels in LA and we got a slip under the door saying that the tour was canceled and our show was the following day in LA. So we didn't even get to do our oh. LA show. And we were all homeless and a oh, bunch lovely. of us, one person had their apartment still. So like eight of us went to that little two bedroom apartment that already had three people living there. And there were like 11 total in this two bedroom apartment. We were sleeping on the floor, eating ramen and Taco Bell and you do what you got to do. Good times. The broke times <laughs> are the best times. Big moments for me were ticking those people off of the list. The only person who I wasn't ever able to cross off that list was Madonna. I've never worked for her. We've met, but I guess it's my fault. I never worked for her. She asked me, we were in this lineup and she called me forward and she was like, will you cut your hair? And my hair was down to here. Uh, and big and that curly. when you had the big curls? And she mm. asked me if I would cut my hair. And I was like, no. <laughs> she was like, why? I was like, my hair's my trademark. <laughs> and she was like, rolling her eyes and she was like does anyone have a hair tie <laughs> and so someone gave me it and I pulled my hair back and she was like so much better and looked away and then I got cut so <laughs> yeah I probably should have said yes anyone who I mentor I would tell them take their ego out of everything your ego is your enemy my ego was very very uh big <laughs> for a moment, <laughs> a couple of moments, different moments in time. But yeah, checking your ego is very important. So I never crossed that off. But Janet, I was able to finally cross Janet off of my list when I was maybe 20. I don't even know how old I was in my mid 20s, late 20s. I had already been choreographing and was successful as a choreographer. But Janet was like, the dream job of mine. So uh, I went to the audition. I ended up booking it and I did a full promo tour with her. I actually booked Super Bowl. Oh, I guess I know what year it was. What year was that? Nipplegate. So I booked that Super Bowl. Mid 2000s? I don't remember. Yeah, something like 2005, Seven, 2004, six. six something like that. <laughs> it's all over. So I booked that, but I had a teaching job. And mm -hmm. I have always been a firm believer on staying firm to your commitments, regardless mm -hmm. of if something bigger and better comes along. So I didn't want to cancel. I will never cancel and I never do cancel. So I turned down Super Bowl. Sad I missed that. But I ended up doing all of the promo after that when Janet was the old school days of being canceled. So right. <laughs> yeah, we didn't do as much as we would have. But yeah, I... Loved that whole time. Super Bowl was 2004. 2004, yes. <laughs> yeah, so it would have been 04, 05 that I toured. And it was, the album was called Demita Joe. And mm -hmm. 
I was supposed to do the video for one of the first singles, but again, I was busy. So someone took my place for that video. And then she pulled me back a couple years later to do another album. And I did a bunch of promo for that, but because of my career as a choreographer and by then the later years producer and director, I was not available to do anything besides quick little spot dates, but at least I got to fulfill that dream of dancing for Janet. So well, those are my favorite achievements as a dancer, for sure. And when I was on tour with Britney, that was another great one for me. Although she was not someone who I grew up watching because she's younger than me. I just remember when she came out and I was like, oh, she's the one. <laughs> when I saw her schoolgirl video, I was like, okay, she's one to watch. And my really, really close friend was dancing for her at the time. And he was like, come over to the hotel and meet her. So Andre? TJ Espinosa. TJ, okay. Um, yeah, this is like even before Andre was dancing. And so oh, I went wow. over to the hotel and met her. And I would see her at random shows and always say hi. But then I was asked to fill in for Wade Robson. He was choreographing the Grammys and he decided that he didn't want to dance in it. And he called me the day before and said, can you come to rehearsal right now and learn this? The show's tomorrow. And I was like, yes, no pressure. <laughs> sure, it's for Britney. And I show up at rehearsal and I find out that it is fully wearing a mask. Like I wasn't going to be seen at all. I was so mad. Oh no. Ego. Again, ego. I'm like, well, if I can't be seen, then my family can't see me. <laughs> and all the people that bully me at school can't see me and I don't win. <laughs> so yeah, that sucked. But then I got this audition to dance for one of the opening acts that was opening for her. And I was like, I'm going to take it. I'm going to go to the audition just so that I can be on that tour and like be around networking is everything. And so I did, I auditioned for the tour and I got it because I knew I would, because that's how you have to go into every audition. So I got the job and I went on tour and we were hanging out. I was hanging out with Brittany at the jacuzzi one night in one of the cities that we were in. And I was like, Hey, tour was coming to an end in like two weeks. And then there was a break before the next tour. And I was like, Hey, I should be dancing for you. Right. She was like, yeah. I was like, perfect. And then I booked the next tour without auditioning. They just cast some new dancers. So uh, that, what tour was that uh, one? That was. Oops. I did it again. Yes. That's okay. Gotcha. I remember um, that one. And that was like the most fun job as a dancer because I had done smaller tours. I was out with Sync for a while and Joy uh, mm -hmm. Night, and, but nothing came close to that because at that time, Brittany was like massive and we just got to tour the world getting like really good treatment. <laughs> and we were at the perfect age to do that as well. I was like maybe 21 or 22. And that's how I parlayed that into my choreography career. I was, I ended up choreographing her next tour and taking over. That was dream, dream within a dream. Yes. Yeah. That was one of my favorite tours. I, I love that show. So good. And I love um, that sort of, cause it was like the end of my dance journey and life. career. Although I still did dance jobs after that, it was sort of the, the crowning moment of being a dancer for me. 
I love that. So many stories you could share. So many. Pivoting a little bit into the choreography, since you mentioned choreography, and, and I know you've done also a lot of creative directing. Is there any particular uh, gig that you did that was just so fulfilling or that you really enjoyed or someone that you worked with as a choreographer that was a highlight in your in your career? I mean, the Dream Within a Dream tour for Brittany was just such a, a big moment for me because it was the first time as a choreographer a getting credit for choreography because I had choreographed things before, but as an assistant choreographer. But you know, if you're not billed as the choreographer, it doesn't quite feel the same. So having the full billing was a big deal for me. And I mean, it wasn't even a full billing. Wade Robson and I choreographed that project together, but thank God he was the type of person that he is and was and wasn't uh, worried about sharing that billing with me. It really propelled my career. So that one was amazing. Just, and it was also the first time I was involved in the creative side of things. We wrote that entire show together and just being able to see your ideas that were just words on a piece of paper turn into this massive spectacle and then be standing in an arena with just thousands of people watching what you sat and wrote in a living room one day was just crazy to witness and feel and see that. And it was, you know, sort of getting the taste of that was a problem because I just wanted more. It became insatiable. (laughs) It really propelled me to go into that side of creative direction. I always will love the projects the most with people who love what they do and really care about their craft and the arts. Sometimes you'll work with people who are there because they want fame only. Sometimes you're there with people because they enjoy getting paid, but they don't like to actually work. Same thing for dancers. You know, I'll have dancers in a room and sometimes dancers are like, again. And then other dancers are like, yes, yes, let's go again. (laughs) Let's go again. Let's be better. So I just, the projects that resonate with me always are those with the people who just love it. Like Pink, choreographing for Pink. She is just epic. She loves to work. She, I remember the first thing that she said to me when we were in rehearsal was, And I had danced for her previously when she first came out, but this was my first time ever being in the room with her as a choreographer. And she was like, don't give me any love. Like, don't give me compliments. I don't want compliments at all. Hmm. Just tell me the truth. I was like, yes, (laughs) fun. (laughs) I can do that. I love that. Another person who I love is Melanie Martinez. I worked with her on this film called K through 12, which was a musical. And Melanie was not a dancer ever in her life. And she just loved Brittany growing up. So she called me and I had a meeting with her and she was like, I just want to do this thing and dance. Can you teach me how to dance in nine days? Oh gosh. <laughs> Good had nine that. days to choreograph a feature film to rehearse oh. for a feature film. So if you watch this movie, like Kate, a non-dancer. <laughs> it was nine days to set everything. And we did it in Budapest. So we were working with foreign dancers who didn't know, many of them didn't speak English. And I had about three to four hours to rehearse for each specific scene that you see. 
and with the non-dancers. So it was just such a crazy process. But for that to be one of my favorite processes, it just says a lot about her and her willingness to explore and grow. And she was just a natural. I loved it. Yeah, those are the ones that stick out to me the most. I love that. Now, you've reinvented yourself so many times over the years and being a dancer, choreographer, teacher, judge, producer, creative director. What is the secret to your the longevity in your dance entertainment life? I think I'm 10. No, 11. I think I'm 11. Like with the six <laughs> year old. I truly do. I just, I'm not ever limiting myself to my age or being done or expiring. Or I think I said it right when we started is when you check off something on your list, you have to put something else on it or else you are spinning your wheels. So for me, it's just constantly figuring out like, what now, what can I do now that will inspire me dancing I can continue to do. And this, this aspect of dancing, the teaching is the only thing that I still love (laughs) the entertainment industry. uh, I mean, you see the writer's strike right now. It's impossible for anyone to not know that that's going on. SAG-AFTRA is on strike right now. These are the realities. If you look into what's going on with our world as choreographers, we've got the Choreographers Guild right now which is the first time we've unionized as choreographers ever in history, which is a massive thing. And now we're finally being able to fight for our rights, but dancers and choreographers, choreographers more so are treated terrible. We don't have health benefits. We don't have residuals, like all of these things that you receive as dancers on jobs, we don't receive. We are the only ones. We are the lowest on the totem pole, yet the hardest working. These things have bittered me slightly against the industry. It's not a fun place to be as a choreographer or as a creative who came from the choreography world because they will always look at you as less than. Now I say this because we're fighting now and trying to fix this. So I'm not bitter. I do not hate the industry. There's just much that needs to be changed in the industry to have choreographers receive the same respect as everyone else. So that has soured me a bit, but the dance, the real dance, not dance on film, not dance for for pay, dance will always be my love. And it will always be the one thing that I can constantly do that no one else can take away from me. And I think that's the most beautiful thing about it is you do a job and you are at the mercy of the producer. You're at the mercy of the label, the artist, all of these people that are paying your bills, but in a dance class, no one can tell you what to do as a choreographer. You go in there, you teach your work, what you feel in your heart, what you hear. No one gets to give you their opinion and say, well, change that part. That's why I love this part of dancing so much. And it's an immediate exchange with your students. You see their their growth immediately. You see when it affects them positively. And that's, again, something that you don't necessarily receive everywhere else. You put things out on social media. And as much as there is good 
in it and people do receive it, you also see the negative of what they receive. You also see a monetary compensation on it. You see that number going up in your likes and your views, which tells you what you're supposed to feel about the work that you just put out. We don't get that in class. And that's why I love teaching in class so much, or at convention is none of that matters, none of it. So that's what I love the most. But for me, what's next? Right over here, I have a sewing machine. <laughs> My husband bought me a sewing machine for Christmas. You're going to make some clothes or something? I just wanted to learn something new. I was like... I, I could totally just, see you. You're such a fashion fashionista. I, mean, I had, a, I had a, a clothing line already. I just didn't, yeah. I didn't find it, but I didn't physically make the clothes. But just to not be at the mercy of someone else to do things for you, and just finding a new hobby, that is what keeps me motivated to move forward. I've already tackled pretty much every aspect of the entertainment industry that is there that I can. So I needed to figure out something else new. And I've been taking sewing lessons and my sewing teacher thinks I'm really good. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Well, one thing that you, you said earlier, which you said, you know, you always got to check off the next thing as you checked off the entertainment life. You checked off the teaching, all these things. What's next? What is on your checkbox list that you have not done yet that you would like to? A Broadway show. Hmm. Biographer, uh, director, all. producer. All I would love to do all of it. And a performer? No. Or just behind and the production oh, no, My body is done. <laughs> my body is done. I don't know. I've seen uh, your class videos. You don't look done I, to me. No, I can, I can do a live show, but not show up to show up to show up to show. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Yeah, I'll still dance, but just briefly. Um, I would love to do a Broadway show. I would also love to get my real estate license. Really? You oh, want yeah. to sell houses? I well, do. you know what? I've you have a gift houses. for that. Yeah, but not, but my own houses. It's always like a hobby to gut a house and rebuild it the way you see fit. So I love doing that. And I've always loved doing that to my homes, but I would love to do that as a, a little side career. I could totally see you doing that. I remember when you were flipping your very first home and it was just full of dirt and then you just made it into this beautiful oasis and every house you've ever owned has always turned into this beautiful. It's so much fun. Like. Like, uh, speaking of houses, I uh, for those of you that don't know, Brian Friedman had and hosted a party with Miss Janet Jackson recently. Do you want to share a little bit about how that even happened? Yeah, it's it's funny. I um, COVID was so monumental; like so much went on in that time. I hustle for a living. I never stop moving. Pretty much. This story of, you know, being 11 and going into dance and all of a sudden, I don't remember anything before that, that snowball that happened then literally never stopped until COVID at the 11 to the age of 43. I never took a pause, a breath, a beat, nothing. I got off an off operating table in 2010. I had my shoulder worked on. And I got off of the operating table, drove home, put ice on my shoulder, passed out like groggy, and then got put in a wheelchair and put on a plane to London 
because we were shooting X Factor 2010, which is when we put One Direction together. And I'm in a sling the entire shoot on pain meds, taking my sling off, putting my arm down, letting it hang and shooting, and then putting my sling back on. That's how much I didn't take time off. I wouldn't even take a day off. So cut to COVID (laughs) and I'm mortified. Like, oh my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I I'd had. You were teaching cancel. classes online. I saw you. <laughs> oh, of course. But I had to cancel everything. So much of my life got canceled. I canceled my yeah. honeymoon. I got married two weeks before COVID. Who knew? Right. Yes. So all of a sudden I was trapped at home and not knowing what to do with my time. Mm. Of course, I went on to every online platform because if I don't stay busy, I will go insane. That aside, I had never been home for more than maybe eight to 10 days in a row. Never. Wow. So this is the first time I was home. And all of a sudden, I started to enjoy what it felt like to be normal and to breathe And I realized that I had been living with anxiety my entire life that I had never been aware of. And I started meditating. I started doing like at home yoga. I started cooking. I started becoming what I refer to as a normal person. Human. With a life a life outside of my career. And I started realizing how toxic my career was for my mental health. And I started driving to visit my family in Arizona and it was so peaceful and so quiet and so beautiful. And I started looking at houses and I was like, I'm an online teacher now. I can live anywhere. (laughs) And so we put our house on the market in LA and found a house and left. Now I live in Arizona. I didn't quite think it out how that would affect my career, Mm -hmm. but now I'm only in this house, maybe two days a week (laughs) uh, because my career is in LA and everywhere else around the world. But to be able to have a home base that is close to family and that is not in LA allows me to unplug every time I get here. When I was in LA, if I was taking three days off, I felt like a failure. I felt like my career was down the street and I'm at home failing. So this has been the best recipe for me to be able to have sanity. I can totally relate to you. I did the same thing. My my business is still based in LA. I'm in LA right now, but my home is in Vancouver where I'm 10 minutes away from my uh, parents and my brother. And I, I totally get that, the need for yeah, that. At this age, I mean, I am all for everyone hustling and going and moving and doing them. But Especially when you're young. I'm uh, way too long. <laughs> I'm ready to have some peace. I deserve I, it. I get that. Well, I was just looking at the clock and I gosh, the time just like flew. I want to give the dancers an opportunity to meet you and to actually ask you a few questions. Do you mind staying on a few minutes longer? No. And I've been like in each of your faces as we've been talking, <laughs> scanning all of you. So I feel like I know all of you right now, even though we haven't 
formally met, but yeah, I feel like I know all of you. So yeah, I'm totally open to questions if you have them. Okay. Amazing. So if you have a question to answer, put in the chat, I have a question and we'll go down the list. All right, Brian, as efficiently as possible, if you can answer each of these questions so that we don't uh, spend forever on just the one question. Heather, what is your question? Hi, I'm Heather. Um, I actually represent my daughter, Madison, who is Menina's youngest mentee. She's five. So I guess my biggest question is, since you've learned from your moms and your experience, what is your advice to a parent of a young performer who has big dreams and you want to help them? There is no rush. That is my experience coming from someone who did it all. Find a home, like a safe little network for her of people that are like-minded. Hi. (laughs) That are like, (laughs) I think finding a dance home is the best thing that you can possibly do. I didn't have social media when I was a kid. And that is such a huge outlet to be able to put yourself out there as a performer. Like we had to move to LA to be able to be scouted and to be seen. Now you don't have to. There's plenty of opportunities. There's conventions. There's places where agents come and scout for dancers. So if that's what you want to do, just know my mom, the best advice she ever gave me was the second you don't want to do this, you don't have to. (laughs) Like Mm. it was always my choice and, and my decision. So I think that is key with the little ones. It's just making mm-hmm. sure that they are steering the ship because yeah. if it's a parent's dream, it's a child's nightmare. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So just quote. when Hold it's on. not fun, stop. Yeah. <laughs> Find something else to do. And there's a lot of no's. There's yeah. tons yeah. of no's. Yeah. Yes. 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 That. Great advice. I love that. Thank, Thank you so you. much, Heather. Welcome. All right. Next, we have Miss Sienna. What is your question? Hi, Brian. It's Sienna. Good to talk to you again. My question is, so I'm currently a junior in high school and I've already worked a little in LA and, you know, the next six months are all kind of up in the air. I'm on hold for a, a TV show right now, so I'm not really sure what the future holds, but right now I'm just trying to plan ahead for college or just if I should move to New York and just start auditioning or LA. So what are your thoughts on the whole college or just start auditioning? Do you want to go to college? It's always been like, not really, but maybe like I'm open to it. And I'm very like all over the map about it. Are you a good student? Yes. Okay. I feel like if you're a good student, and you want to have that college experience, I say go to college. Dance is not something that is going to go away for you. It's only a matter of a couple of years. And from the age of 18 to 22 or 23, when you're done with college, you're not the smartest. (laughs) I'm just going to say that. There are so many dancers that I see that move to LA at 18 and just haven't figured it out yet. That doesn't mean that that's you because it can work out. But there are some that takes a couple of years for them to get into the swing of things, to get into doing commercial dance. If you're a competition dancer, it's a different ball game. It's not the same type of movement. So sometimes people have some years to struggle and train before it really starts to click and they work. I feel like 
there are so many dancers that I knew as a professional dancer when I was younger that came from college. They had finished college before they moved to LA. They always just seemed like they had it together. <laughs> they seemed like the ones that were more professional on the job. They knew how to show up on time. They knew how to follow directions. And that's learned by sticking to that commitment of being in school and really following through. So I feel like there's a benefit to go into college first if you are the type of student that will excel there and that will really soak the experience in. If you're not and you're going to college because your parents want you to go, it's to me never a good idea. Like there's so many kids that I meet that are like, well, they won't help me in LA unless I go to college first. And I'm like, oh. Well, if you want their help, then go. And if you don't, then run and do it yourself and eat Taco Bell and ramen like I did. But yeah, you've got to know, you got to listen to your heart. Yep. Thank you so much. And in terms of coasts, when you decide, just figure out what it is that you want to do most. If you want to do concert and theater, New York is where you would want to be. And if you want commercial work, there's plenty more opportunities in LA. If you're not sure and you want them both, New York is probably the better choice. Okay. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you so much, Sienna. Next up, we have Sophia. What is your question? Hi, my name is Sophia. I'm from Colorado. And my question is, what type of dancers do you like to work with? Hmm. I like to work with, and it's going to piggyback a little on what I said earlier, dancers who like to work hard. That is my favorite type of dancer to work with. Dancers who think of themselves as clay that choreographers can mold. Those are my favorite type of dancers. Dancers that love to be in the studio, that just want to be there, that want to give their all, and dancers that are versatile. I think having a solid foundation in multiple styles, your technical styles, your hip-hop foundations, all of those things are really important because my choreography kind of goes all over the place. It dabbles in everything that I've been trained in. And, you know, as professional dancers, you get trained in some crazy stuff that you never thought you would like folk dances and like flamenco, all these things that I didn't get to learn in a studio. And then all of a sudden I'm on set and I'm learning how to do these things. So, yeah, I think just the more broad your vocabulary is, the better. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Miss Sophia. All right. We've got Ashlyn. Hi, my name is Ashlyn. It's so nice to meet you. My question is, do you have any advice that you would give to your younger self or like anything that you'd go back in time and change? I would never change anything. I just, I feel like all of the the good and bad stuff is what made me. So no changes. Advice, it would always be to my younger self, the pre-dancing self. And it's just, it gets better. That's all I would tell him is it gets better and all of the things that they make fun of you for are going to make you filthy rich. I love that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Filthy rich so you can take care of your family. That's the truth. (laughs) Thank you. I love it. Thank you, Ashlyn. All right, let's go to Cam. And what is your question? Hi, I'm Cameron. I come from the competition world. Um, where technique and tricks are so crucial. But this past year, I took a break to train up 
BDC um, just to get the more professional side of the industry. And I saw how important movement quality is. So I really, really focused on that. And I did think I grew. I want to balance both. But this year I decided to go back into competition just because I have so many years left. But in your professional opinion, what is the most important thing you see in a dance or a dancer? Most important thing I see in a dancer, artistry. Artistry is the most important thing. Being a storyteller, being captivating. I love to watch a dancer who makes me feel something and as cool as tricks are without the trick being done by an artist, I don't care about it at all. So I'm not against tricks. Like I am a tricker. Like I don't, you don't see me do it now, but when I was growing up, I was a tricker. I was a crazy turner, jumping, flipping, like all of it. You're Loved still it. flipping. You're still flipping. Don't and lie. <laughs> um, but like, it's, you just have to know that balance. And I see so many competition dancers that just fall into this rut of only being able to be rehearsed and then can't pick up choreography in class. And it's just, it's sad to me to see all of that talent just not reaching its full potential. So I just say, focus on artistry, artistry and like texture and dynamics. And for you to do what you did by going and training at a professional studio is the right thing to do. Like if you're at a competition studio that doesn't offer that, just get on some online classes and fill your training with what's missing. I think being a dancer is just being smart about what it is that you need and making sure that you are receiving everything that you deserve and need. Thank you so much. Welcome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Cam. All right. Next up, we have Malia. And what is your question? Hi, my name is Malia. I'm from Orlando, Florida. And my question is, I am 16 now, so I'm approaching my older years, but My question is, I've worked professionally already, but I want to start working more in the commercial industry. So what would be your advice on standing out in those bigger LA auditions? I just, I truly think that talent speaks for itself. It does. It's easier said than done, but you decide who books the job, just so you know. As dancers, we don't choose. You tell us who's booking the job. It's kind of like what I said when I went into that audition, when I wanted to go on that tour, I was booking that job. I walked in, I danced, I let them know I was booking the job and I booked the job. If you want to book the job, you let them know that you are the one that deserves this job. You let them know with your talent. You let them know with your drive, your determination, your professionalism, when you walk in that room, your eye contact, but not overbearing eye contact. All of these things are so important and like it's solid. And of course, you know, if there's only like two people that are being chosen or four and there's like 24 people that should get the job, then it's hard. Like, obviously it's going to come down to things that are out of your control. It's what a different hair color and you never can walk in and know what it is that day that they need. So to try and like rack your brain and make yourself crazy, trying to figure those things out is just useless. Some jobs are just not for you. And when you walk away from that, you have to just say, okay, cool. That wasn't mine. Moving on and next, but it's truly be your best, walk in there and give them no other option, but to hire you. Confidence. Confidence is everything. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Malia. All right, let's go to Jesse. And what is your question? Hi, I'm Jesse. Um, I'm from Ontario, Canada. And my question is, 
What is something or someone that has inspired you most throughout your career? Hmm. Uh, I feel like I've had these mentors that pop in at the right times for different reasons. For the beginning of my career, it was my mom. She was the definition of dance in my mind. There was like a class and a grace that she had that came from the era that she grew up in and her watching old Hollywood musicals. So that was definite motivation at that time. Also, Michael, Janet, Madonna, Prince, Paula, those five were huge because they were putting on these spectacles, these dance performances that amazed me. My first mentor, Jamie King, who Mm. many of you probably don't know who that is because he doesn't have social media. He stays behind the camera. He was a dancer, turned choreographer, turned creative director, turned producer, basically me. And I saw his career as my career and I wanted exactly what he had. So I think it was seeing representation showed me what it was that I wanted. He he was literally a God to me when I was 16 from that age on. And he then hired me as a choreographer and hired and we worked together. He produced when I was choreographing for Britney. So we've worked together a lot. Kenny Ortega, who mm-hmm. choreographed uh, Newsies and directed Newsies. He was one of the first people to ever give me a job and a chance. So forever grateful to him, Vincent Patterson, who was also someone who hired me for Michael Jackson when I was a kid, who choreographed for Michael and Madonna and everyone, Tina Turner. So I think all of those people who gave me my first chances and inspire me so much are the ones who continue to inspire me um, because they keep working. You know, these people are, they're older than me and I'm old. So the fact that they are constantly going and never stopping and driving forward is definitely inspiring. Awesome. Marguerite Derricks. I have to throw Marguerite Derricks in there too. I was her assistant from the age of 15 and she was mean back then. (laughs) I loved it so much. I loved being with someone who was so intense. And my goal was for them to never be mean to me the way that they were mean Mm. to the other people in the room. (laughs) Cause then I knew I was doing it right. And it's crazy because I'm so nice now, but when I started teaching, I was just as mean as her because that was who I had learned from. And it's funny because she's nice now and I'm nice now. And the moral of the story is when you get old, you just get nicer. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) <laughs> Those are a great, great list of mentors for sure. All right, let's go to Maya. And what is your question? I'm Maya. I'm from Swindon, England. And my question is, given that you've worked in both the US and UK markets, do you see any difference between the two for dancers trying to get work? And then do you have any tips specific to the UK? Yes, tons of differences in the dancers. And isn't it like 2 a.m. for you? Yeah. You're up late. Um, okay, so I love Swindon too. The difference for me is this competitive dance thing that is going on in America. It feels very um, like a machine, and the dancers feel a bit like parts of a machine, like they're robots, <laughs> and they can't break out of that. I don't find that in the UK when I work with dancers in Europe and the UK. 
there is just a lot more freedom and expression. And I know that there's the competitive world of dance in the UK as well, but I just don't feel the same things that I feel in the dance room when I have American competitive dancers in the room. I think that there's just this hunger in America, and this is a generalization, there's a hunger to win. Whereas I feel like people love to dance more overseas. Like they're not so consumed with the win and the trophy. Uh, Whereas here, I feel like there's just an unhealthy amount of pressure put on the win. And I think that's what creates the difference. But I love both American and foreign dancers, but there's something about being on a job in London. There's just this maturity in dancers there that I absolutely love. My advice for you over there, um, do you want to go to stage school? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Like Wilkes Academy is one of my favorites. I don't know if you're familiar with Wilkes. Wilkes, Erdang, I was a patron at Erdang for years. They're a special place in my heart, but they were taken over by London University. So I don't know how great it is now, but I say go get your like full schooling done and take that route and then make sure that you get a great agent. I say Coots is amazing. K-U-T-E-S. Okay. Yeah. Lucas McFarland mentioned them. We had him a few weeks ago. Awesome. He's the best. Thank thank you so much, Maya. Thanks for staying up late as well. (laughs) All right. Uh, We've got Mr. Julius. And what is your question? Julius, nice to meet you. You too who enjoys different styles but ballet is always when i find a new style i love should i continue with ballet or focus on the new style i say you should be training in everything at all times (laughs) i just think that the more you can be doing the stronger you're going to be getting as a dancer but i do preach to the students that i teach that if you feel and there's no such thing as conquering a style like there's never that but once if there's a certain class that you have access to in a certain style, and it's literally the only person's class that you can take in that style, and you're not being challenged anymore in the class, that's when it's time to continue adding different classes in so that you are growing. If you're not being challenged in your class, you're not growing. And I think that's key. You've got to constantly be challenged with the exception of if you're going to just practice your technique. Obviously, you can take a beginning ballet or jazz or hip hop fundamental class and get a lot out of it in terms of your foundation, but you want to make sure that you're exercising your brain as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Julius. All right, we're going to move on to Kelsey. Hi, I'm Kelsey. It's great to meet you. I was going to ask about social media with how popular it's gotten. I'm noticing that a lot of people are posting excerpts of their choreography from either the studio or competitions or live shows. And I'm also noticing that a lot of people are starting to be inspired by work a little too much to the point where it's looking a little suspicious. And I was wondering, as such a successful choreographer, what your advice is to protect your work? (sighs) Yeah, I have a really different take on this. Obviously, we want to protect our work, but there is so much to be said about inspiration and finding your voice. And I have watched countless choreographers who many of you all look up to because they're all maybe in their 30s now or older, who their original work was my work. (laughs) And I looked at it like this. Oh, 
that's cute. They're finding themselves. And then if you give them space and time to find themselves, eventually they do find themselves. When I first started, my work looked exactly like Marguerite's and it looked like Jamie King's until I figured out what my voice was. So I give grace. I give a lot of grace when it comes to that. Now there is blatant copying of choreography. People that'll take a song and take a concept and take exact phrases and work. For me, it's where it's being done. And if there is compensation being received for it, I don't care if someone goes and does like a talent show and does a couple eight counts of my choreography, like no big deal. I'm fine with that. I don't even care if someone competes on stage and does two eight counts of my choreography that they've seen in music videos, especially if they're doing like that artist and they want it to look like them. I'm like, yeah, go use it. That's fine. It's, it's the world's. It's not mine. It's when someone hosts a masterclass, learn the original choreography from, and they'll teach my choreography and they're making money off of it. That's when I have an issue with it. So I think that every circumstance is different and you need to look at it like that, but it's really hard to police the internet. It is. You never know when someone's posting something, but I am a firm believer in sending a DM (laughs) And letting them know, and if they don't respond, making a comment about their shady workings. Yeah, I'm vocal if I have to be, but a lot of the time I like to give grace when grace is needed. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much, Kelsey. All right. Daphna is next. She is our newest mentee from Mexico. Introduce yourself. And what is your question? My name is Daphna. I'm from Monterrey, Mexico. And I would like to know, when did you realize at your career that you really inspire people and that you're like the Brian Friedman? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I never think of myself as that. But it was probably when I started teaching on conventions. I think that's when it really hit me that the work that I was doing in the entertainment industry was reaching the masses. I was on a convention for many, many years, starting when I was 18, I started doing my first convention. And I just remember the shift happening once I had choreographed for Britney and all of the people were going crazy at convention and started like chasing us down. And this is before there was social media and it was before there was, so you think you can dance and there were no dance TV shows on. So like being a choreographer and being known wasn't a thing. It was only because I was on MTV, I would do these little spots and they would show clips and things and people started to know who I was and knew my name. So that was the first time I ever felt that. And then once So You Think You Can Dance started and I was on the show from the inception, the first season and being a judge on that show in the beginning, it literally changed my life in terms of going out in public At the time, it was one of the biggest shows on TV. And this is before there was streaming and there was not social media. So there weren't so many options to see people. So everyone knew who you were. So it was the first time that the first episode aired and I got on a flight that week and everyone on the plane was pointing. I was like, oh, (laughs) whoa, (laughs) this is a thing. So that was like the biggest thing because before it was just niche. It was people who knew Britney or knew dance that would spot me somewhere. And then when I moved to 
London and I started doing a show called The X Factor there. I did another show before that, but once I was judging shows there in the UK, my anonymity went completely away. And I'm grateful that the level of fame I have in the UK, I don't have anywhere else in the world because there is much more difficult. And if you don't like not being stopped, <laughs> then don't become famous because you have no life anymore. Fame is is not all it's cracked up to be. And you see a lot of people who are famous that slightly lose it. It's because they have no private life or privacy at all. So just fame is not that great. I'm telling you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thanks, Daphna, for the question. All right. We're, let's motor through these next questions. We have Victoria. Go ahead. I'm Victoria, and I'm actually here in LA with Moitza right now. <laughs> I was wondering if you happen to be teaching any classes tomorrow or Tuesday, and if not, do you have any recommendations for classes? Because we are interested. <laughs> I am not. I'm currently in Arizona. This is my studio. Okay. I'm, I'm in a little studio at home. I don't even know who's teaching right now, but I do know that we are in the summer heat right now. So there have got to be great classes. I say, what style do you want to train in? Honestly, I'm good with any. Like, I took a contemporary class at Millennium today. Okay. I'm interested in hip hop, jazz, funk, heels. I was going to uh, say just go to either Millennium or Playground or 88. See what master classes are going on at Miran K Studios in Burbank. I know that they host a lot of different master classes, but there should be a lot of great stuff right now. There's cool, so thank many. You. I won't be there until next week. well thank you thank you victoria and moitza was she had a question as well so hi uh, thank you for sharing and i'm moitza and i come from slovenia so europe and my question to you is i always adored all these music uh choreographies in music videos so one for one i know that you choreograph so i'm just wondering how you thinking about when you are doing these iconic choreographies. I mean, I want to be so great as well, like you. (laughs) Thank you. Um, What's funny is when I was young, I didn't think. (laughs) I just did. There's this amazing quality or just the beauty of being naive. I miss that because I wasn't thinking about creating for anyone else but myself. The older you get, you want to do better work than you did before. So my favorite work was when I wasn't thinking at all, when I would just put the music on and do what felt right to me. Now I have way too much information in my head, way too much knowledge, way too much practice with editing and um, way too much comparison. So when I create for a specific artist or a project or a job now, it is no longer fun. <laughs> it is, I cannot let this look like something that I have done before. So yeah, that's the hard part. But I think going with your gut and making sure that you're creating something that is uniquely you is key. You don't want to put out something else in someone else's voice because they already did it and said it a thousand times better than you could ever speak their language. Thank you. Thank you so much, Moitza. All right. Next up, we have Caitlin. Hi, I'm Caitlin. And I was wondering if you have any advice for choreographing a piece for yourself. Mm. Oh, 
That is the hardest thing ever to do. <laughs> I could never do it. Whenever I choreographed stuff for myself, it was just terrible. If I ever wanted to do something and really be seen as a great dancer, I would ask someone else to choreograph me personally. So for choreographing yourself, it is obviously, and I'll say this, this is the information that I give out when I tell people about their improv. You want to always show your strengths and not your weaknesses. I think a lot of the times when you're choreographing, you feel this need to do specific things because it's the norm and because other people are doing it. Never fall prey to that. Do what you do, what you can execute the strongest. And I don't know your abilities at all, but if you're not flexible, don't show your legs off. If you don't have good feet, don't support that. Don't, don't wear white shoes if you don't have good feet. If you're not a jumper, don't put any jumps in the piece. It's, it's unnecessary. This feel, this need to put all of this content in because you think you have to. Do what you do the best and then perform from the heart. Make sure for me, pieces that I can feel, like I said earlier, are the ones that resonate with me that are going to get higher scores when I'm judging. I am not a fan of music that is like water bottles crunching and computer voices talking. Like, give me a song with a melody and some lyrics and then bring those lyrics to life. So that's my advice. Pick a great song, dance from the heart, and don't show your weaknesses. Okay. Thank you, advice. Thank you so much. All right, let's move on to Miss Shauna. Hi, I'm Shauna. I'm from Tennessee. My question is, in your younger ages, when you were auditioning, what set you apart from everyone else and how you got so many jobs? <laughs> my confidence. I, I truly think that was it. It was my confidence and my ambition. I just, I danced with tons of energy. I... I was just so naive. <laughs> I had no clue of anything. I hadn't been dancing long. I had been dancing like a hot second. And I just loved to dance, like as corny as that sounds. I think that was what it was. I had this love of it and it came out when I would perform. And that was it. I wasn't better than anyone. There were so many dancers in the room that were better than me when I auditioned, which is why. I now, as a teacher, I'm in a room, I'm always calling out people who are a little chaotic, maybe a little disastrous, like not getting all the steps right, but there's just heart. And that's, I think, what I had, and that's what I resonate with. And those are the dancers that I want to mentor the most. Now, of course, if you're like a Tasmanian devil, you have to be able to like pull it together when the time comes. So like, I'm not saying just be chaotic, but be unapologetic and do it because you love it. And I think that's, that's what it was that stuck out for me. Thank I you. Concur. I, I definitely see that in you. And I saw that in you when you were younger too. All right. Miss Sophia Rice. Hi, I am Sophia. I'm from Colorado. And my question for you is, what is the biggest piece of advice that someone has gave you or you gave yourself that you just stick with? Biggest advice? Well, I'm going to go with two of them. My first one was my mom. If you don't like this anymore, you don't have to do it. That was the best advice. My second piece of advice was from one of my mentors when I was a kid. His name is Chris Dupre. Mm. And Chris 
said to me when I was 15, he said, your head is getting so big, you can't fit through the door. And I was like, and I checked myself so fast. And that's that ego check that I was talking about earlier. And I definitely, that was the last time that I really was unaware of how I was acting. And every day from that point forth, if you're ever in a situation, ask yourself, is your ego talking or are you talking? And if I do that, I can usually talk myself out of situations and get off of the ledge before I do something that I should not do. (laughs) But that's the best advice ever because our egos can be really, really unhealthy and create a lot of chaos not for other people, but for us in our heads when we're so hard on ourselves. Great advice. I love that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Miss Sophia. All right, moving on to Riley. And what is your question? Hi, my name is Riley LeBate. I just recently relocated to Vancouver, Canada. And I saw that you were at Radix. So I was just curious when you're there again, as I have an opportunity to go. I will be at every city next year. I did all of them last year, but one. But yeah, I should be at every single one of them next year. Perfect. I will be there. Thank you so much. (laughs) I love it. All right. Let's go to Lainey. We're almost done. Hello, my name is Lainey and I'm from Washington State. My question is, what piece of advice would you give to me and any other dancer who struggles with anxiety and has known for a long time and kind of has the idea that they have to go hundred percent all the time. Uh, I am a go hundred percent all the time type of person. As I got well. that from you. <laughs> I think the thing that helped me the like hands down, the thing that helped me the most was meditation. It was the only time that I was able to stop. And it was funny because before I started that in COVID, my mom used to tell me just like step outside and take a deep breath, take a couple deep breaths. And that mixed with this ego check thing helped me a lot. There were many times when I was on set feeling like that strangling feeling, like I couldn't breathe. And I got up and my assistants, whoever was my next person in line would know if I stepped out, it was bad. (laughs) And this is before I was even really knowing what it was that helped me the most was stepping outside and taking some deep breaths and separating myself from the situation. But right now I know that it's all of this mind chatter and clutter that goes on that compounds and gets to me. And meditating is the one thing that can calm that and stop that. I also had to find things outside of my work that I could do that would calm me. Like yoga has really helped. Keeping that in my daily practice has definitely helped with my anxiety. Awesome. Thank you so much. I have recently started with the, um, I forgot what it's called, but at the end of every lesson. The hypnosis. um, You're doing the hypnosis. Yes, Yes. the hypnosis. And I did it two nights ago before bed and it just really helped to calm and just 
kind of ease and then, oh, okay, I'm asleep now. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think consistency with any of those things is key is, you know, sometimes you try something and it works and you're like, okay, I'm good now. And you stop doing it. I'm the same way. I just have to keep constantly reminding myself to keep that practice consistent. Yes. Awesome. I love that you're using that, Lainey. Brian, so you don't know, we have a hypnotherapist that created a confidence in dance hypnosis for wow. the dancers. And um, that's one of the tools that she's talking about. So Very I love cool. that you're using it. Thank you so much. All right. Miss Willow. Hi, I'm Willow. I'm 14 years old and I live right outside of Philadelphia. And my question is, how do you continue to like push yourself and grow as a dancer? I think inspiration helps me a lot. Like I'm constantly seeing new things and that inspiration makes me want to be better. Even my students, they amaze me, my assistants, what they're capable of doing. So that inspiration pushes me and propels me and wants me to be able to create and give them work worthy of them doing music also plays a huge role in inspiration for me. If there's good music out, then I really want to create. If there's nothing new coming out lately, the last couple of years, I have been going back to old music and choreographing to songs that I had never done before that I always wanted to do. But yeah, music keeps me inspired. Definitely. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you, Miss Willow. All right. Final two questions. We have Maya Joyce. Hi, my name is Maya Joyce. I'm 12 years old and I'm from Tampa, Florida, but currently I'm in LA taking intensives. In fact, actually, I'm going to a Tremaine intensive in a couple of days. Yes. I wanted to thank you for taking the time to come on to Business of Dance and share your honest story and journey with us. And my question to you is, how did you lock into your style of dance? Look at you, so well-spoken. Sad I'm not teaching at the Tremaine Intensive. I used to always teach at their summer intensive, but they haven't asked me in years. Uh, I found one of my assistants. Do you know who Megan Sanit is? Megan. Yes, uh, I do. She's the musical theater teacher. She's so nice. I love her. Correct. When she was about 14 or 15, she took my class and then I swooped her up and she started assisting me. My style is literally a big old ball of everything that I ever grew up doing. Like I was a child of when dance studios only had jazz, tap and ballet and lyrical. Those are the only styles that were on the schedule. And then as I started to grow up, hip hop became something that they offered at studios. So those were the styles that I was trained in. And they are the foundation and the heartbeat of all of my movement. Jazz is what I loved the most, but I love the emotion and lyrical. So I put that into my jazz movement. And then all of the different styles that kept coming into my life as I was an older teenager, a young adult, I started going to Vogue balls when I was in my early 20s and I loved voguing. I started doing a style of dance that was very inspired by the Vogue culture with my jazz, which became known as jazz funk, which mixed and blended hip hop and everything all together. And now I'm just a big 
blend of everything. There's contemporary movement in my choreography, hip hop, jazz, lyrical, tap at times, sounds and rhythms of tap. My biggest inspiration as a kid in terms of choreography was Bob Fosse. So I feel like there is an element of Fosse threaded through all of my movement as well. That's how I did it. I just feel like we are all a big product of what our training is. 100%. Thank you so much, Miss Maya Joyce. Thank you, Mr. Brian. I can't wait to tell Miss Megan that I got to meet you. Give her a hug for me. I will. Thank you so much. Welcome. Thank you, sweetheart. All right. And final question, Sakura. Hi, my name is Sakura Heath, and I'm from Orlando, Florida. I'm actually going to the Space TV Intensive Monday and Tuesday in LA, and then I'm staying till Friday. So my question for you is, are you going to any other studios? You get there on on Monday? Yes. Tomorrow. Where I'm going to be. Sorry, next week. Oh, next Monday. Next Monday, yes. Check his Instagram. He's got it all on Instagram, right? You posted all your classes. Yes, I will be at, well, that one sold out. Are you still there on the 6th? No, that's my birthday. Okay, and you're already gone? (laughs) Yes. Okay, then you're missing everything. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah, I'm doing something called Flux Factor, but that is sold out. But if you're at the space, I will be there. Okay, I can't wait to take from you. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Brian. Sorry, this went way over. We've never had a guest on this long, but I think everyone was just so eager to meet you and speak to you. And thank you so much for sharing. Um, It was nice to meet all of you. Yes. Dancers, please give Brian big hearts. Lots of love. Thank you for sharing your stories, your wisdom, your knowledge, your inspiration, your vulnerability. And it was so great to reconnect with you after so long. And congratulations with everything that you're doing. Big hugs to your family. And see you soon. I'll be in touch with you after this call. Thank you, Dancer. Signing off, everyone. Bye. Bye. And that concludes another episode of the Business of Dance podcast. We hope you found today's conversation insightful and gained valuable knowledge. Be sure to join us next time for more inspiring interviews with top professionals in the dance industry. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the Business of Dance on your favorite platform and take a moment to leave a review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. This podcast is brought to you by the Business of Dance online mentorship program to help aspiring professional dancers create their dream dance careers. Thank you for listening. Until next time.